to us who is like God. Who is his image? That's that is a heavy responsibility. It is a sobering responsibility. I think of two references in scriptures. The first one I automatically thought of when I when I thought of this concept. I went back to Genesis chapter one, verse twenty six, where where the Godhead speaking to itself says, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Who is like Jehovah? He is going to make man like Jehovah. He's going to make man after his image, after his likeness. And you say, well, you know, that's that's not what it was probably intended. After all, it's only one verse. But then I I go to Philippians chapter 3, and you all know Philippians chapter 3, verse 10, where, where Paul is speaking to his old fellow believers that he spent time with in prison when he was locked up. And the, the jailer that was going to commit suicide when the earthquake occurred and all the doors opened up and, and he thought all the people had escaped and Paul cries out in the darkness and says, don't hurt yourself. We're all here. We didn't run away. And he lights a torch and he runs in and he sees all the prisoners and he sees Paul and Silas sitting there, the handcuffs, the the chains all falling off them. They're sitting there. They've been singing to the Lord all night long. They've been singing though their backs are all laid open and ripped open and they're lying in their own urine and feces chained against the wall. And yet they were singing to God that they were counted worthy to suffer for his name's sake. And everybody thought, poor Paul, he is loony, he's, he's lost it, he's, he's gone. And they come in, the jailer comes in and he says, what must I do to be saved? And he takes Paul home to his family and, and Paul speaks to the family that night and with the prisoners that had walked out with him, they went to the prisoners, they went to the, the jailer's house and that night there were many, many that were saved and it says all the household of the jailer were saved that night. And so a church was formed there in Philippi. And what does it say in 3.10? Paul says that I, what is most important in my life is that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship. I want to, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know what Christ suffered on the cross. I want him to know what he suffered when people despised him and rejected him. I want to know what he did for me. And the last part is, and that I might be made conformable unto his death. What is that? Who is like Jehovah? I want to be him. That's what Paul says. So we have it in the beginning in Genesis chapter 1 and we have it in Philippians. New Testament, Old Testament. 
So maybe this concept is not so crazy to think about. The name of Micah certainly means who is like Jehovah, but it also could also mean for me and for you if you are a believer. Are you like Jehovah? Do you walk worthy of the name that he has given you? As his adopted child? As his bride? That he makes one with himself? Is his image imprinted on you so that when you walk in this world, people see you and they see Christ? That is the introduction to chapter 7. That is the burden that Micah carries. And you shall bear the reproach of my people. His heart must be broken as God's was broken for his people. And this is the truth, whether it is a a prophet or whether it is a, a person who takes this platform and speaks or whether it's an elder who is an under-shepherd over the flock of God God wants your heart to be like His He wants you to cry and to weep when you see the children of God going astray He wants you to cry and to weep and to pray and to feel pain when you see His children walking away from God and this is the heart of a of a pastor, this is the heart of a of an elder, this is the heart of a father towards his children, this is the heart of a mother towards her children. Micah. Chapter seven, verse one. Woe is me, for I am as when They have gathered the summer fruits as the grape clings of the vintage. There is no cluster to eat. My soul desires the first fruit. The good man is perished out of the earth, and there is none upright among men. They all lie in wait for blood. They hunt every man his brother with a net, that they may do evil with both hands earnestly. The prince asks, The judge asks for a reward. The great man, he utters his mischief desire. And so they wrap it up. When I was a a small boy, three years old, I lived in row houses in Falcroft, Pennsylvania, just outside the city of Philadelphia. And I was a strange kid. I did things that other people didn't think about doing. And my mother, she had a number of flowers and plants that were given to her by my father at the time. And they all died. They were, they were not perennials. They were like, you know, like we have these mums. You get a mum and you, and they all get mums and it's like after a while the flowers all die and the thing eventually dies. And what do we do with it? We throw it out. And so I went to my mother and I said, Mom, can I have, can I have all of the flower pots? And she said, what do you want them for? 
they were just dirt? I said, no, I, I want the flower pots. And I took a half a dozen or so flower pots on the back step of our house, and I, and I, like a little kid, I had a little watering can, and I watered them every day, faithfully. Every day I watered those six or seven pots. My mom said, there's nothing there. They're dead. I said, no, I'm going to water them. You know who two or three of those pots? There came this little shoot out of it, and it grew up, and I can still see it. In my mind, I would continue to water them, and, and I can still see the leaves. They were the reddish leaves with the yellow around the outside. I don't know what you call them. I'm not a botanist. But, but I can see those, those plants growing. And my mother was amazed that, that anything could come out of the dead ground. Well, that's what, that's what Ezekiel, that's what Micah is saying here in verse 1. Woe is me, for I am as when they have gathered the summer fruits and the grape leaves of the vintage, for there is no cluster to eat, and my, my soul desires the first fruit. I want grapes, but I look, and all I see is, is everything is gone, everything's been harvested. There's only a couple of little pieces that were left because they were considered unedible or not worthy to be harvested. And that was the illustration that God gave me when I was three, that God can pour water on what appears to our eyes to be dry, dead ground with no life in it. And he has the power to bring life out of death. That is the heart of Micah. He wants to see the life that turns itself to God. And so he is willing, even though it is impossible from this world's standpoint, by faith he will continue to water the dry ground with the prayer to God that God would bring life where there is only death. And that's what happens. Out of the people that Micah is going to talk to, there will only be one here and, and one over there. And the rest, there is only death. And that's what he talks about next. He says, every man, I look at all the people and, and every man is trying to gather stuff for himself. He's, he's cheating other people. He's, he's using the law. That's what it means here when it says, the prince asks, the prince who has the power, the authority, the, our president or our senators, those that have the authority, they, they take from the people things that they should not have and they gather them to themselves. And the, and the, it says that the, the judge, the ones that, that execute the law, they, they bring out the lawyers and they, they set up the laws and they set up the courts in such a fashion that they are able to take from people. And he sees it everywhere, all throughout the society that Micah lived in. Now, when we look at this this chapter, though we're looking at what Micah sees hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the heart of man hasn't changed at all. It is still the same today. And so the things that Micah sees and the things that he's dealing with 
the things that he talks to God about and that God talks to him about is what we have to focus on today on the other side of the world right now there are those that that hate God and that steal for themselves and God sees it and he permits it to go on but only until the bounds of his limits and then he will bring it to an end and you and I this generation we may be looking at the last events before the Lord returns the things that are happening right now are they in this chapter verse 4 the best of them is a briar the most upright is sharper than a thorn hedge the day of thy watchman and thy visitation cometh now shall be their perplexity Oh, God has has allowed this evil to go on in society, on and on, and they thought that they would go on forever. They would be allowed to do all the things that their little evil minds would permit. With both hands, it says, they would steal from people. Until, he says, until the day of the watchman and thy visitation, when the Lord will judge. And this is what is going to happen. Evil will persist in the world. Wicked men will succeed. Nation will steal from other nations and men will steal from other men. But God sees everything. And there will come a day when the watchman will blow his trumpet and say, Now is the day of the visitation of the Lord come. Trust ye not in a friend. Put not confidence in a guide. Keep the doors of thy mouth from her that lies in thy bosom. For the son dishonors the father, and the daughter rises up against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies are the men of his own house. Turn back with me to Lamentations chapter 3. This pattern has been repeated again and again. And and, and in Lamentations chapter 3, what we have is we have Jeremiah. He is arrested and he is in a house arrest, a prison, and he's looking out his window and he is watching what he has told the people is going to happen. All their evil, all the days that they had been stealing and, and running away from God and bringing in all the things for themselves. As the watchman, as he said would happen, it is happening. And Lamentations, he writes as he sees the Babylonians breaching the walls of Jerusalem and the soldiers running through the streets and doing exactly what God had told him to tell the people they would do. They would rip open the women with babies 
and take the baby out of the womb and take it and smash its head against the walls before the woman would die. They would do horrible things just like we see, we hear about on the news. And he would see these things with his eyes. And because, like Micah, who is like Jehovah, his heart would be broken. And he would weep. And he would mourn. I am a man that has seen affliction by the rod of his wrath. He hath led me and brought me into darkness, but not into light. Surely against me is he turned. He turned his hand against me all the day. My flesh and my skin hath he made old. He hath broken my bones. He hath built against me and compassed me with gall and travel. He hath set me in a dark places as they that be dead of old. He hath hedged me about that I cannot get out. He hath made my chain heavy. Also when I cry and shout, he shuts out my prayer. There are captives today that are in the caves over in Gaza. In the dark. Chained and they cannot get out. These are not unique feelings. Is there are believers over there? Are there those over there that God wants to draw to Himself that are going through horrible, terrible times? Not because God hates them, but because He wants them to consider their life and their situation and turn their eyes to Jehovah, the Savior. Irregardless of what happens in this world in our lives, whether the economy destroyed, whether our, our military is destroyed, whether the, the weather comes down and tornadoes tear apart our house, though we might be in the chained in a dark dungeon left there to die, God has not left us. He hath enclosed my ways with hewn stone. He hath made my paths crooked. He was unto me as a bear lying in wait and a lion in secret places. He hath turned aside my ways and pulled me in pieces. He hath made me desolate. He hath bent his bow and sent me as a mark for his arrows. He hath caused his arrows, his quiver to enter into my reins. I was a derision to all my people and their song all the day. He hath filled me with bitterness. He hath made me drunken with wormwood. He hath also broken my teeth with gravel stones and hath covered me with ashes. And thou hast removed my soul far off from peace. I forgot prosperity. And I said, My strength and my hope is perished from the Lord. Remembering my afflictions and my misery, the wormwood and the gall, my soul hath them still in remembrance and is humbled in me. This I recall to mind. Therefore, I have hope. What? God brought these things to Jeremiah 
so that he would look to his hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, saith my soul. Therefore will I hope in him. Not in being freed, not in the economy correcting itself, not in my riches, not in my position, not in my job, not in my family, not in my health, not in my life. My hope is in the Lord. That is what Jeremiah was driven to here in the middle of Lamentations. And that is what we see in verse 7 of Micah chapter 7. What does Micah say? Therefore will I look unto the Lord. I will wait for the God of my salvation. My God will hear me. The reason I I brought Jeremiah's chapter 3 conclusion, I want you to see that is exactly what Micah sees here, and it is what all of his children, all those that belong to the Lord, are to always keep in their minds. No matter what happens to you, if you leave here and you go out and you are killed by a car or you you are run over and you're dying in agony in the hospital from cancer or whatever situation you find yourself in this world, in this body, in this flesh, in this time that God has given you to go through, never, never let that overcome your hope in the Lord and your confidence in in Him. For if you have the confidence in the Lord, all the things that this world, all the things that Satan can do to you, all the things that men can do to you, they become infinitesimal. They become nothing. For you are in the hand of God. And that's all that matters. What if, what if you were to come up to me and, and I said, look, I have a billion dollars. If you let me take this hammer and smash your thumb, I will give you a billion dollars. Some of you would say, oh, that's not going to, I'm not going to let him do that. No, I said, no, look, here it is. Cashier's check. Take it. Billion dollars. One with all those zeros after it. Will you go through a moment's pain to receive something beyond your imagination in reward? Some of you would say, yes, I will. What God has offered us as His children, as saints in this world, He says, I leave you here to go through suffering, to go through pain, to face the, the chides and the, and the evils of this world. I leave you there as my witnesses, but I have something so much greater, infinitely greater in store for you. We were thinking about it this morning when we were singing that song. What was the song? Eternity. Remember? Eternity. When 
you give up an instant of pain for an eternity with God? I did. It was the greatest thing I ever did. I finally realized how much he loved me and what he had done for me and how infinite was his value and his love. And that is why he is telling us this in the scriptures to consider. When I put you through the trials, consider your hope is in the Lord. Verse 8. Rejoice not against me, O mine enemy. When I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. I will bear the indignation of the Lord, because I have sinned against him, until he plead my cause and execute judgment for me. He will bring me forth to the light, and I shall behold his righteousness. Give it your best shot, Satan. Give it your best shot, man. I know that I have sinned against God. I know that. I know that I had no thing in myself that could undo it or could make it right ever again. And then I was introduced to the light that God sent into my life. The light of the Lord Jesus who said believe in me and I will take you and give you life. I will give you my righteousness by faith. There were there were four men In the Old Testament, we have we have Daniel. He was in the lion's den, in the dark, all night long with the lions. No light in there. No way to escape. Expecting death all the night long. We also have Jeremiah. If you go and read about Jeremiah, they, they took him, when, when he wouldn't shut up, when he wouldn't stop talking the words of God, they took him and they put him in a cesspool, like taking a man cover off out here, only this isn't a, a, a sewer for, for water, this was a cesspool. And they put him in there until the crack and the shit was up to his neck, and his whole body was underneath it, and he was left there in the dark to die. We also have John the Baptist. He was taken by Herod. And there he is in the dungeon, left there alone, facing the sword of the axeman that would cut off his head. We also have Paul and Silas in the Philippian jail, chained against the wall. All of these men were hedged in surrounded by stones, in the dark, facing certain death. And yet, every one of them, you read their stories, every one of them says, I 
have sinned against God. But I put my trust and confidence in Him that said He would take my sins, my iniquities, unto Himself, and He would give me His righteousness. And every one of those four great examples in the Scriptures, there we are, in the dark, knowing that they are sinners, and yet their faith and their hope and their trust is in God to save them. Whether he saved them from this body and from this death in this world was not important. You listen to, you go back and you read Daniel chapter 3 about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. What do they say to Nebuchadnezzar? They say, look, Nebuchadnezzar, we will not be careful. We're not going to give you some lawyer's answer to your question. But we will not bow down to this idol that you have made. We belong to Jehovah. And He alone is who we will worship. And Nebuchadnezzar says, Look, I'm going to give you one more chance. You bow down, you live. You'll have a good life. But if you don't, I'm going to throw you into the fire. And He does. Because they say, We will not. We will not bow down. And one thing they said to Nebuchadnezzar before he threw them into the fire. He said, we know this. Whether we die, God can save us from the fire if he chooses. But if he chooses not, know this, O king, that before this day is over, he will take us out of your hands whether in saving them in the fire or whether through death they will be out of the hands of Nebuchadnezzar who wanted to take them from God. They will be dead in the Lord. Burnt, tortured, horrible death in the fire, but they will be with the Lord before this day is over. Nebuchadnezzar, he, he goes ballistic and he throws them into the fire. And then you can read the story. Nebuchadnezzar goes over and he looks into this open door where they threw them into the fire and he says to all his counselors and his, and his, his mighty men, he says, didn't we throw three men in there? But lo, I see four and the fourth one is like the Son of God walking in the midst of the flames. God wants you to be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He wants you to be like Micah, who is like Jehovah. Because they were willing by faith to walk into death, they were able to walk in the midst of the fire with Jesus Christ, the Son of God. You're a believer here. If you're a believer here, and the world came to you when they said, we're going to kill you. Would you like to die a horrible, wicked death? And God comes to you and says, you are mine. No one can take you out of my hand. Don't listen to what the world says. Whether in life or in death, at the end of the day, you'll be with me. How many here would like to walk in the midst of the fire with Jesus Christ? 
You have the opportunity. We have the opportunities that come to us day in and day out here in this world, in our in our neighborhoods, in our jobs, in our in our dealings with other people. We have the opportunity to to witness to others by the faith that we have in Jesus Christ. Yahshua, Yehovah Shua, Jehovah who saves. That's what his name means. He will bring me forth to light and I shall behold His righteousness. Then she that is mine enemy and I, this is one thing I don't know if any of you have ideas. Why, why does He use the feminine pronoun here? I don't know. But He does. It's one of the things that I will continue to ask the Holy Spirit. There's many things that I don't know about the Scriptures. It's one of the things that I will ask because I want to know why. What is the significance of it? And it says, Then she that is mine enemy shall see it, and shame shall cover her, which said unto me, Where is the Lord thy God? Isn't that what they said to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Isn't that what Nebuchadnezzar says? And who is that God? This is what Nebuchadnezzar says. Of course, he didn't say it in English. Who is that God that will take you out of my hand? Same thing is being said. Where is the Lord thy God? Mine eyes shall behold her. Now shall she be trodden down as the mire in the streets. In the day that thy walls are to be built, in the day, in that day shall the decree be far removed. In that day also he shall come even to thee from Assyria and from the fortified cities. And from the fortress, even to the river, and from sea to sea, and from mountain to mountain. <laughs> this verse 11 and 12. I, I don't know exactly what is being referred to here. But I know that there are many scriptures that talk about in the last days, right before the Lord Jesus comes back the second time that there will be one that God calls in the book of Isaiah and in other places the Assyrian. Assyria was a nation that lived between the Tigris and the rivers Euphrates rivers and that whole region in the Middle East that we today call Iran and Iraq. Is this a reference to what is going to happen in the last days? In the days when the walls are to be built? You go back and you look at Amos chapter 9 verse 11 and it says that the the walls will be built in the day when the prince shall come. When the Lord Jesus returns the second time to Israel, the walls will be built. Is that what this is, verse 11 and 12 are referring to? If so... And I say if, because I don't, I, I'm not going to be dogmatic about this. But if so, it says in that day, they will come from Assyria. 
There will be an invasion, as it says in other places, the Assyrian will come into Israel in the last days. He, those from Iran and Iraq, that territory over there today, will invade Israel and they will be victorious. They will go through the nation of Israel and they will slaughter the people. And just as it looks like they are about to finally destroy Israel once and for all, the prince comes. The king of Israel, who even today their scriptures say that they should wait for, for he will come. But in his time, when it is his time, he will come. Is what we see on the TVs today, is this the precursors? Is this the setting up of the stage? It says that they will come from fortified cities. The cities that will be designed with forts and, and fortifications and tunnels and what else. And from the fortress even to the river, to the Jordan River, and it says from sea, the, the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River, all the way to the Mediterranean, and from the mountains in the north, all the way to the mountains in the south. They will come and they will invade from all different directions. That's what it says. To me, anyway. And then verse 13, notwithstanding, even though you see all of this happening, the land shall be desolate because of them that dwell therein for the fruit of their doings. They're not being punished by these evil people from, from outside because the outside people are evil. But God says that this is happening because of what you, my children, have done. This is God's way of getting the attention of those that are His. For you and me, if things are happening in your life, you should constantly be asking yourself, am I walking with the Lord? Am I right in the things that He has shown me and asked me to do? Or have I rebelled against them? Have I said, no, not today. No, I have other things more important. I have other priorities in my life. Is God coming to you and is he allowing things to happen in your life so that he can get your attention? If so, a prudent man would listen to God and change his ways and turn back to God. Repent. Turn back to God and say, God, forgive me for, for walking away from you. Forgive me for being cold-hearted towards you. Cold-hearted towards those that are your children. Cold-hearted towards the sinners of this world as I watch them die in their agony, never to be redeemed. But the heart of God The heart that we have if we are who is like Jehovah 
has the compassion that Christ expressed. Remember, it says that he looked in the crowd and he saw them as sheep on a hill without a shepherd and he had compassion on them. Were they sinners? Yes. Were they going to reject him? Yes. Were they going to crucify him? Yes. But he had compassion on them. And what does he say? We read it this morning. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. They're in darkness. They're captured by their sins and their coldness of heart. Verse 14, Feed thy people with the rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitary in the wood and in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead as in the days of old. According to the days of life coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show him marvelous things. So now God goes to Micah and he says, Feed thy people with thy rod. Now, why does he say that? That this is a reference. This is to me, this is this this is like it shouted as I read this off the page. Where does the rod come up? Go through the Rolodex, go through the I know some older folks, we know what a Rolodex is. The younger people, go through your mind and say, where else in the scriptures does God talk about the rod? Isaiah chapter 11. Turn there. You must see this. Isaiah chapter 11. God is giving this prophecy through Isaiah. He's talking about what is going to happen in the future. And this is what God says. And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, out of the branch shall grow out of his roots. And the Spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, upon the rod. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And shall make him of quick understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. But with righteousness shall he judge the poor and reprove with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall smite the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips shall he slay the wicked. And righteousness shall be the girdle of his loins, and faithfulness the girdle of his reins. This is Jesus Christ. He is the one, the rod that came out of Jesse. He is the descendant of Jesse, who had a son named David, and that David would have a descendant in the days to come would be called the rod. And this is the description of the rod. And so now we go back to Micah chapter 7 verse 14. He says, Feed thy people with thy rod. The flock of thine heritage which shall dwell solitary. There's going to be one up there in the woods and one over in Mount Carnal and, and one in the woods of Bashan and, and one out there in the desert. 
It will be the remnant that God will feed with His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will give them the wisdom of Jesus Christ and the knowledge of Him to believe Him by faith. And they will be scattered throughout all the places. It won't be the entire, but here one, there one. That's what He's talking about. According to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto Him marvelous things. The nations shall see and be confounded at all their might. They shall lay their hand upon their mouth, and their ears shall be deaf. They shall lick the dust like serpent. They shall move out of their holes like worms of the earth. They shall be afraid of the Lord our God, and shall fear because of you. Here he's saying that in that time, that wherever that time is, if it's just a time that is yet to come, we may be even seeing the precursors of it. It says the nations will look at this little tiny people of Israel and they say, how can this little tiny nation, which is nothing but a drop of the bucket of humanity, how can they stand against the world? How can they overcome these great forces that come against them? Verse 18. Who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Well, take a look. Look at verse 18 and 19 again. Who is a God like unto thee? That that thee is the same that we would say in English as you. It is what we would call in English the second person. You. I am talking to you. I, the first person, talk to you, the second person, and we're going to talk about him, the third person. Look at this verse. Who is a God like unto you that pardoneth iniquity and passes by the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage? Why does he change it? Why does he say your heritage? Why does he change the pronoun? Why is the Holy Spirit directing Micah to change as he's speaking to God? He says... You, you will pardon the iniquity of your people who pass by the transgressions of the remnant of his heritage. He, the third person, retains not anger forever because he delights in mercy. There's two different parts of this There's two different persons in these verses. He is speaking to God the Father who has an ultimate plan and that ultimate plan will be carried out by the Father's Son, Him. The one that He would send into the world. And isn't what Jesus says when we go to the Gospels? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Uh, for I come forth from the Father. 
God sent me into the world to die. Isn't that what Jesus says? He is the one. He retains not His anger forever. Because He delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will cause the children of Israel to repent. He will take a hold of their hearts and turn them from being away from Him towards Him. Like a morning glory opens up to the sun in the morning. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. Isn't that what it says in the Gospels? And he looked upon the people and he had compassion on them. How can you have compassion? The word compassion is an interesting word. The word compassion is made up of two parts. The, the word passion is, is feelings, okay? But the word co and compassion means that you are one of them. God is not one of us. He's a spirit. He is not a body. He's not a human being. But God sent into this world His Son that took upon Him flesh and became a man and dwelt among us and felt what we felt. And so He could have compassion. And that's exactly what it says. He will turn again and He will have compassion upon us. He will subdue our iniquities. And then it trains back to the Father. And thou, Father, you will cast all of their sins into the depths of the sea. How is that possible? Because Jesus Christ has paid for them. Jesus Christ has taken our sins and our iniquities unto Himself. By faith they are transferred from my wicked, evil, human, fleshly body to the beloved Lord Jesus Christ who had compassion on me and died for me. So my sins are transferred to Him and the Father in Heaven says, it's good enough for me for my Son has paid for it. We have that, that that prophecy that's given in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 49, where, where it says, though a woman may forget her child of her, of her born to her, yet I will never forget you, for lo, I have engraved you on the palms of my hands. Jesus Christ's nail prints, written in his nail prints, is my name, Steve Anderson, sinner, Saved by grace through faith in what He did for me. Same as you if you're a believer. Your names are written in His hands. That's what it says. And so, the Father is sitting up in heaven right now and sitting on His right hand is the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father says, why should I forgive Steve Anderson? And Jesus just turns to Him and shows Him the palms of His hands. And says, Father, there he is, written in the nail prints of my hands. And the Father says, that's good enough for me. Now we'll cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. 
Thou wilt perform the truth to Jacob and the mercy to Abraham which thou hast sworn unto our fathers from the days of old. I've already gone past the time that I've been allotted. But that verse 20, I will just let you do it on your own. This is your assignment if you choose to follow through on it. What God is referring to as Micah speaks this last verse in his prophecy, he's referring to what is covered in the book of Romans. In Romans chapter 10 and 11. Where it talks about the nation of Israel, Paul, in in chapter 10 verse 1, he says, my heart's desire. What, What is he saying? My heart's desire. He is speaking as Micah. Who is like Jehovah? My heart's desire is that Israel would turn to their their Messiah, turn to their Redeemer. And he talks about it. I'm not going to go over it now, but you can see it. Read through those chapters yourself. And you'll see what what this verse 20 is saying. In the last days, God will use the Gentiles to cause the Jewish people, when they see Christ in those that are walking in Him, their hearts will be smitten and they will become jealous and they will turn back to God. And that's a whole nother prophecy, but that's what verse 20 is talking about. And what I think is happening in the world today, this is part of what God is talking about. What is happening even as I am standing here, and the rockets and the bullets and the guns and the death and the destruction and the hatred that is happening over in Israel is part of what God has planned not because he hates the Jews but because he loves them so much that he wants them to come home to him to be one with him this is God's plan thank you Father for this day and for this book of Micah for the last chapter for your wonderful story and your wonderful plan of what you are going to accomplish in this world in preparation for eternity in preparation from the day that all will be finished and all will be accomplished and we will be in Christ as he is in you forever knowing you as even now you know us in all of your glory and beautiful aspects and all of the wonderful things that you have done down through history in preparation for a a bride that you would bring to your son that they would become one in you Amen Amen